Hi there, and welcome to The Works. I'm Ben Che. And I'm Ben Peltier. In today's show, a cultural exchange, tap dance, music, and photography. The tap dance comes in the form of Dane Perry's Tap Dogs, which is performing at the Academy for Performing Arts throughout this week. It's a high-energy show designed to instantly dissipate any idea that there is something not quite manly enough about dance. Keep watching as the show's dancers will be in our studio. The music comes from countertenor Philippe Yeruski, who spoke to us during his recent visit to Hong Kong to tell us about music born of a kind of musical feud between composers George Friedrich Handel and Nicola Popora. And the cultural exchange is between Hong Kong and Mumbai in a program called Encounters 2014. Is there love in this air? First, though, photography, and more specifically, the work of Canadian photographer Edward Bertinsky. At the Sundaram Tagore Gallery until June the 21st, Edward is presenting large-scale photographs from his current series. The topic is water and the way we use it. I'm not a classic landscape photographer. Like some of the famous landscape photographers in the past were like Ansel Adam or Edward Weston in America. I photograph human systems on the land, that we, how we use the land. So I'm not a nature photographer, I'm a human use of nature photographer. And I was in Australia and I was hearing stories about how Australia as a continent was, was drying back. It was the first continent to be really seeing the effects of global warming. And I saw what was happening to the people and to the wildlife and to the whole landscape as the, as the water was drying up. And I realized how critical water is. Water as a precious resource is an understatement, is that you know, I can't be having this conversation. Right? I wouldn't be here without water. The way I kind of look at my work is uh, I ask myself questions. So in water, I went to the source of water, so I went to see where water was still pure, and then I looked at uh, how we control water through dams and aqueducts and, and looking at how we, you know, again, shape water, bring it to the places that we want it. Uh, and then I looked at agriculture and aquaculture. There is a, a small 10-minute film I called Where I Stand, which shows the process of making the pictures. And I think this project, uh, I was not only making still images, uh, it was part of a film project, so I had a, a video crew with me. So with the video crew, I started suggesting that we show the process involved in making these pictures. To me, the picture is interesting when you have a body experience with it, a relationship that you get closer to it and pull away, you can look at it in a corner. And you don't see, we don't see the real world that way. The world's never on a plane, two-dimensional plane. So a picture is something that we don't experience as people in a three-dimensional reality moving around. Sometimes it feels that we're helpless to actually do anything about it. And, and I often wonder whether it, you know, it's beyond governments to even solve these problems. It's only until people begin to recognize the problems. So it is discouraging. You know, it, it does, it does um, I do feel grief, you know, sometimes uh, sadness, largely for the planet and for the next generation. So I, I have daughters too, and i probably uh, the first generation that will say that I'm pretty sure that my kids won't have the opportunities that I had because 
We couldn't figure out how to prevent the worst from happening. We couldn't prevent ourselves from despoiling the landscape and the water and the air. Capitalism only cares about the next quarter, and that's forced governments, I think, to only care about getting into power in the next, in the next election cycle. So democracy and corporations have both are now very short-term thinking. And what we need to do is we need to go back to long-term thinking. It occurred to me that if I just focused all my efforts and all my research to understand what we're doing to nature and how we're expanding the human enterprise around the planet, that it was enough, it was a big enough idea to be my life's work. The art of the countertenor springs from a school of singers that made a daunting sacrifice for their art, not always voluntarily. The castrati were among the first great celebrities of music, and there were strong rivalries between individual singers such as Farinelli and Carastini. But it was not only the singers, but also their composers who had a strong sense of rivalry. that you know a lot of people when they hear a countertenor for the first time they think oh it's female singing you know when you are not used to to hear this voice maybe you it's difficult to 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 realize the difference between a, a countertenor voice and a female voice a soprano voice but uh, when you're getting used of course the color is very different Part of this year's French May, countertenor Philippe Jerusky and the Venice Baroque Orchestra gave voice to the musical feud between Handel and Porpora and between Castrati, Carastini and Farinelli. The art of the Castrati appeared first in Italy in the mid-16th century. By the 18th century, it had become highly popular and competitive. Popera composed works for his student, Farinelli, while Handel wrote for Carastini. The range of the castrato voice is similar to that of a soprano or mezzo-soprano and was once achieved by castration of the singer before puberty. Today, countertenors such as Philippe Jerusky and Andrea Scholl are among the few that can sing in the range of a castrato. A lot of my colleagues, they sang quite a lot when they were uh, children. But uh, I, never, I was never in a boy choir and I really started uh, at the age of 18. Uh, I went to a concert of a, a French countertenor in a church in Paris. And uh, I was totally hypnotized by his performance. And in the same time, I really thought, my God, I think I have this in my throat too. I can sing like this. Oh, 
sometimes there were some misunderstandings about what I can sing and what I cannot sing. Uh, I had a lot of proposals with very high uh, ranges and of, of course uh, I, I had to say no, I can't. And sometimes I was tempted to sing a bit lower and it was too early for me too and it was not my good range. And particularly for opera it was quite difficult at the beginning to find some parts quite fitting well for my voice. I don't feel me so comfortable uh, to sing a female part on stage. I always refuse to do that because I don't feel, I don't feel that uh, it's quite not very comfortable for me. But I have colleagues that are pretty good on that. violin and piano player, as well as a countertenor, Jaruski has formed his own ensemble, Artisus, to find the freedom to choose his own music for performance. You know, as a singer, you have to think about the future because you never know how long you can sing like that. And particularly a countertenor, he has to, to ask himself this question quite early. And then that's probably why I wanted to, my dream would be to, to become a conductor and to to invite other singers to perform with my own group. Welcome back. Take a breath. Feel good? If so, you're lucky. Hong Kong's air is often not of the finest quality, and the air in Mumbai and India is not much better. A recent cross-cultural exchange between Mumbai and Hong Kong saw artists from both places visiting each other's cities to examine the question, is there love in this air? The India-based art organization ARTO2, otherwise known as Art Oxygen, and CNG Art Partment of Hong Kong have been investigating the idea of air as a physical and mental breathing space and as an immaterial element connecting people's lives. By focusing on elements of nature, such as land, water, fire and air, the curators want us to explore different dimensions in public art. The title is actually highlighting how a common natural element like air or oxygen is actually connecting everyone. So the title focuses and suggests this idea of interconnectedness among people, the element of uh, the city, and see what happens when an artist is trying to uh, produce one work not sitting within its his or her own studio, 
but dealing directly with the public space in the sense that the artist is not really in full control anymore of what is going to happen or what the outcome will be. Here in, uh, in uh, Hong Kong and Catchell Depot today, we have four Indian, the four Indian artists that we have participated. Then we had five artists from Hong Kong and another one from Singapore. My work basically is to um, share about Singapore and also I want to ask things about Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong as a city as well. And because I think it's, uh, it's quite important for me as an artist to learn about different cultures. So I'm very curious about what exactly they think about you know, Hong Kong, the changing situation, what they can do to, to, to Hong Kong as a society. Through this kind of exchange uh, dialogue, they write something about what they think in a small stick of paper. And then in exchange, I will give them one of the patches that I made myself as a kind of uh, exchange. In Hong Kong artist Lok Lo's work, he used excerpts of a conversation with an Indian immigrant in Hong Kong about his life in and memories of India. Lok displays the dialogues by spraying glue on a surface and letting dust collect. The words slowly emerge. He says that dust has a symbolic meaning of reincarnation and karma in both Hinduism and Buddhism. Gordo 我對印度最之前最深的感覺就是那種貧富懸殊我去到那裏找一個區是零零舍舍是有很多有錢的大廈和很貧窮的村落那裏然後我就在那裏找了一些人 放在這些繩子上,穿插在這些亭和樓閣之間 Ah, okay, you got me. That's not the real thing. But Hong Kong audiences do have a chance to see the real thing this week at the Academy for Performing Arts. Dane Perry's Tap Dogs are in town. They've been touring and presenting the show for around 20 years around the world, and it's been seen by 12 million people. Now it's your chance. All right, hi, Jim and Doug. Welcome to the program. Uh, hi. Thanks. Hi. So perhaps we can start by introducing the actual show, Tap Dogs. Uh, what is it about, and uh, what can people expect from it? Uh, tap Dogs is a, it's an Australian brand show. Um, it's a tap show, obviously. Um, it's about six guys. Um, uh, we build the set as we go uh, through dancing, through an hour and 20 minutes of tap dancing. Uh, we build the set, we dance on different surfaces, upside down, on scaffolding. Uh, it's quite a dangerous sort of looking show. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's basically what it is. So it's about hard working guys on a building site, tap dancing. 
and uh, perhaps can introduce the rest of the uh, cast to us. Yeah, obviously Jim and Doug, you've got uh, Nathaniel, Sheldon, uh, Richie and Chafe. And they also have two percussionists on the show, I understand as yeah, well. Yeah, right? uh, we've got uh, two percussionists, Lindsay and Noriko. So they play live music with us. Uh, there's a lot of the show that's a cappella. Um, and then the percussionist starts is kind of big drums, congos, bongos, uh, sorry, congas and bongos. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's very live. When they get going, it becomes powerful. We kind of complement each other. And you guys are obviously in town playing a set of shows here. Uh, what nights will we be playing and where will you be playing in Hong uh, Kong? We're at the uh, Lyric Theatre. Uh, we open tonight, Tuesday, and we play uh, all the way till Sunday. And we have two shows on Saturday and two on Sunday.